Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Carissa Mom Podcast with the HR Twins. We're so glad that you could join us today and so excited for this episode. So stay tuned. Thank you for stopping by the Career Salon Podcast with the HR Twins. In this episode, we're super excited to welcome our guest, Melissa Dobbins. Melissa is many things, entrepreneur, engineer, analyst, product strategist, mother, Star Wars enthusiast, leader, avid writer, USC Trojan, wife, science fiction fan, speaker, and artist. While she has many facets, none can define her. Just like everyone else, Melissa is more than a description on a piece of paper. She founded Career.Place because she believes everyone deserves to be evaluated for their true potential and not by the biases triggered by a few words. Career.Place is an anonymous candidate screening platform that helps organizations hire more effectively without bias. By removing bias, organizations open the door to a wider candidate pool while driving diversity, efficiency, and compliance. It does this by replacing bias-laden resumes and time-consuming screening calls with a structured, blind process that equips the hiring team with the ability to easily and objectively identify those best qualified for the job. Career.Place, removing bias one hire at a time. Welcome to the Career Salon Podcast with the HR Twins. Yay, we're on season four. Yes. And um, we already had our premiere episode, um, but now we have our second episode with our first guest of season four. And yes. we're excited to welcome, I already read her bio, but Melissa Dobbins, owner of The Career Place. And so we're so excited to have you, Melissa. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Thanks. Great. So I met Melissa on a panel for um, diversity, equity, and inclusion with, was it, um, DFW Texas Recruiters Network, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it was. (laughs) I like had to remember, like that was ages ago. So much has happened in these Americas (laughs) since then. (laughs) So I'm like, I gotta remember. But, you know, she, some of, you know, what she was saying was so impactful. I was like, we have Mm -hmm. to have her on the podcast, like literally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I'm so glad that you were so gracious and you were available to come on. But I want our audience to know more about you. And of course, this is a career salon where we relax and we're fun and everything. So of course, we know you're a business owner and you're in tech and all those things. But we also want to know about you, the whole you, something fun about you and all that jazz. I know you're a mom, so that's important too. So give us the tea, Melissa. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, There are so many things. It might be a shock (laughs) to people, especially, you know, if you've seen any video recordings of me that I'm uh, what most or some people would call a nerd. I'm a huge fan of things like Star Wars and Star Trek and Harry Potter. And I will nerd out all day on science (laughs) fantasy. And I do like Legos. (laughs) Um, In fact, the holiday season, you know, it was, it's funny, my girls, uh, we've been training them to get to to encompass the platinum rule, right? It's not what you want. It's not do unto others as you want, because that ends up giving us a lot of LOL dolls, which you know adults are not really into. Um, it's what you know the what somebody else would like. So how do mm-hmm. you 
really understand and think of others in your behavior, such as getting gifts. Um, so they struggle with with my husband quite a bit because they don't get anything he likes. They think it's very boring. With me, at least I like toys. <laughs> so, <laughs> so things like Legos and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. You sound like, you know, I would be love to grow up in a house with you. So I'm sure your girls are like, our mom is so cool. She plays with us, all the things. <laughs> no, mommy doesn't share her video games. <laughs> oh, well, on that note. <laughs> so when I was having a follow-up conversation with you, Melissa, about like, why you started Career Place, you had like such an interesting story and I'd love for you to share it with our audience. Absolutely. I think like most entrepreneurs, the reasons, the seeds for the idea that drives someone to start an organization, start a business is very personal. And that is absolutely the case for me as well. So before I started Career.Place, I was in technology. Um, Mm -hmm. I've always been in technology and I ran product strategy, product management for hypergrowth tech organizations. So the smaller organizations that were somewhere between the 20 and 50 million in revenue growing to that 100 million in that exit, whatever it was for them. And my specialty was the future, right? So product strategists are all about how are we going to prove ourselves to be worthy of an acquisition? It's a very Mm -hmm. important job. It's a very powerful job. It's a very demanding job. And I was Mm -hmm. good at it which meant that I was constantly going back into the workforce because as much as I love to grow, I am not one of those people that thrives on maintaining. So post-acquisition, mm-hmm. I get bored. After a little <laughs> um, and then I go for my next adventure. And what ended up happening as I, as I climbed that career, that, that ladder, was it was getting harder and harder to have productive conversations in the job search. I started Mm -hmm. getting questions, you know, by the time I got to director VP level, I was getting questions like, can you fire people? Because that's emotionally difficult. And, you know, if your child gets the sniffles, can you be fully present here? We need people who can be fully present in, in the role. And it was, it got so bad that I started walking out of more interviews than I completed. I would tell people Mm -hmm. why the questions were illegal or inappropriate. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd give them, here's what you should be asking me if you want me to run your product organization and your strategy. This is what you need to know. And let me tell you, if you're a parent and your kid gets really sick and you're still fully present, I think you should be talking to a mirror and not to me. (laughs) Right. So I, I had one of those moments where I had to decide, do I keep putting up with this as a professional, as a woman, as a parent, as everything else that I am and everything else that I am not? Or do I become part of the solution? So when we originally, when I originally started Career.Place, it was with the idea of we have to stop these distractions. We have to stop these triggers where they take one look at me and they make all sorts of assumptions and they forget why I'm even there because they're so distracted by those assumptions. And then if you think about from a career perspective, here I am competing for a job and I'm spending most of my time defending what I am versus my, my equivalents who might not have those same bias triggers who get to jump right into why they're the right fit for the job. So even if I'm better, it takes me a lot longer and it's a lot harder for me to get that equity in evaluation. No one deserves that. And that's why I started Career.Place. 
Wow. wow. See, Carla's, Carla's face the whole time because I heard this before. And Carla, she gets fired up about <laughs> stuff like that. Fired up. <laughs> no, I was, I was just having a conversation with a couple of colleagues previously that I worked with. And I was talking about, you know, how people may make assumptions about me because I'm a senior HR professional. But I have locks and I love to wear crazy earrings and I love to wear bright glasses and I make my clothes may not match all the times. I do the stripes matched with uh, polka dots, as Camille would say. So to some people from the, you know, not meeting me or not hearing my story, they may think, oh, she's not strategic. Mm -hmm. Okay, wait a minute. Okay, so we because we expect leaders to be strategic, whatever that means to whatever company you're speaking to. And you'll have people around you that'll gaslight you and say, No, people aren't doing that to you. People aren't concerned about your hair. Have you ever had that happen to you where you've had these challenges and you've recognized them? You know, that's one of the reasons why you started career.place. You know, what has been your response to people gaslighting you saying, Melissa, you know, you're going out of your mind. People are not doing that to you. Why would they do that? You know, we hire people based on qualifications and, you know, education and experience. Right. No, it's it's a really good question. Clearly, it's happened to me. I think it's happened to everyone. I mean, one of the first things that I did when I started this company was in order to be a DEI advocate, in order to really be able to stand up for anybody and everybody, which is what inclusion means. It's what diversity means. Diversity is not synonymous with minority. It is not synonymous with any particular skin tone or gender or sexual orientation or anything else. It means everybody. And so in order to be an advocate for everybody, you need individual stories. I go through life as me and all of what me means. And I've had stories about my hair. I, I can't even tell you how many times I've been lectured about how women aren't supposed to have gray hair. And while you can't see me on this, this podcast, I do not color my hair. So I have what I call the rogue look, which is the gray streaks in the front. And I kind of like it. Um, but I'm, I'm very much into, into natural. So I've got my natural, crazy, curly, gray streaked hair. And it's part of who I am. So I, you know, does it change what I'm capable of? Does it change how good I am at my job or if I'm a strategic thinker? Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. It's a little bit of genetic code <laughs> in my DNA <laughs> right. that dictates what my hair is like. But, you know, I talk, to, I talk to all these people and I get all of these stories, ageism and sexism and racism and anti-Semitism and the amount of isms that humans are capable of is astounding. Stories about people who are parents, stories about people who aren't parents and want to get time off, but they can't because the parents are all getting time off. Um, people who are overweight and the assumptions that are made because of that, or you don't have the same style. Uh, so, you know, I think all of us have a story if we're really honest with ourselves. And when we dismiss yeah. someone's story, we're dismissing a piece of humanity. And that is not wise because it's something we all have in common. Right. And I, and I saw you mention from your tip of the week in December, you said, don't call candidates or jobs diverse. Oh, oh that's a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> but I think we've all made the mistake in doing that, like including not just you know, our, our white counterparts, just everybody, you know, when we talk, 
in this season of diversity, equity, inclusion, everybody is talking about diverse candidates or diverse jobs. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know you said that, you know, the reason why that kind (laughs) of ticks you off is your pet peeve is because that diversity is not defined by one particular thing. Right. And that's why you don't like it characterized at that. Do you want to go more into that on what you said on your tip? I mean, it's such a great question. The power of diversity is that it's the fact that we all have differences so we can see things differently. We can surround problems and go through them and find the other side. If we're all educated the same way, we all come from the same background. We all have the same experiences growing up. We're all going to see problems in the same way, which means we are not necessarily going to see the solution. We're not all going to resonate with the audience. I mean, how many companies are out there now that have a single demographic audience base or or customer base? It's practically non-existent. So if you have a homogenous workforce in order to cater to a very diverse um, customer base, you're going to miss things. And, you know, one of the really common examples is skincare products and some very big misses in skincare products because you're not thinking about the whole range, because you're not thinking about the different textures of skin and the different oil tones and the different, you know, the the different colors that come in and the over ranges and the, you know, and by not understanding the full needs and complexity of your customers, you're doing a big mess. Just like by not being able to see all of the potential problems, you're going to increase your risk. So diversity at its core is having so much knowledge and experience that could never be contained in a single person that you have a much stronger whole, which means by definition, diversity means back to everybody. Having diversity candidates synonymous with minority or synonymous with single demographics, that's going to do a few things. One, it's going to devalue the concept. It's removing the true value of diversity and turning it into a numbers game and a quota. So that's very detrimental. The second problem is by chasing the quota rather than valuing the individuals you're bringing for the strengths and capabilities that they have you are filling checking boxes with them. And nobody, no professional wants to walk into an office going, it's all right, guys, your token woman is here, right? No one wants this. We want to be valued and seen for how strong and amazing we are as individuals by how, how who we are strengthens the whole, not by checking a box of diversity. So it's those two reasons why it's a big pet peeve of mine is we lose sight of the real value and we reduce people, our peers, our colleagues to numbers. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that, and it's not right, but I think that some people use that word diverse candidates or diversity in that way. Because when you say Black, when you say Hispanic, people get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So they rather say diverse candidates or pound on that word diversity versus saying what something might truly be because it makes people uncomfortable, right? Now, that's not saying it's right, but I think that, I mean, even Carla and I, when we post things about Black people on our social media, we lose followers. Mm -hmm. So 
we could post all day about, you know, four tips to get your, you know, to get ready for your new job and this and that. And people are like, yes, we love it. Post more. Tell us more. But then we post about, you know, black women or black men or Breonna Taylor or something like that. We lose followers. We lose people being interested in our content because we say the words. And so I think that Historically and systemically, those words in corporate America specifically are not said, but they're just covered up with a PC version, which has been diversity. Like you hear it everywhere. Like it's a trend now, Melissa. It's a trend now. But if you call candidates diverse candidates, you're doing something else that's super detrimental. You're talking, you're defining normal. Because diverse candidates means not normal candidates, special candidates, diverse candidates. So hold up. Who wants to be that not normal, diverse candidates? So that's another problem as well, is why, why am I a diverse candidate versus you? Or why are you a diverse candidate versus this person over here? So we Mm -hmm. don't want those boundaries. That is the opposite of inclusion. The opposite of inclusion is not normal and different. The, uh, yeah. the or the inclusion is not normal and different. You know, inclusion is we are all us. Right. So diversity is showcasing what us means. Diverse candidate is creating normalcy and other. We do not want that. <laughs> Carla, are you holding up a sign that says preach? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are Melissa. That's I mean the same way you were like dropping nuggets in the panel we were on together. Yes, it's like the same. I mean, I even have to catch myself, and it's you know a habit that I'm being conscious of calling candidates diverse candidates when I'm referring to you know just candidates that can bring just some a set of differences to our environment. So it's even even something I have to check myself on being caught up in the status quo of what is diversity and inclusion. So I think that you have some great call outs and challenges to people that are in this space to kind of check themselves when speaking to to this subject matter. That's awesome. And what we're really doing from an inclusion standpoint and being an inclusion advocate and being a diversity advocate and an equity advocate is continuing to push the boundaries of people understanding other points of view, right? So if you look at all of those different tips for inclusion, all we're doing is twisting things a little bit so you're seeing out of someone else's eyes. You're experiencing things mm-hmm. for that very moment from someone else's point of view, and therefore that can be included into your perception of the world. And that's the silly and little secret of inclusion and diversity is it's not a big mystical thing. It's not trying to figure out these unobtainable barriers. It's literally just stopping for a moment and saying, tell me your story. Tell me about a time that you walked into a room and people didn't treat you well. What happened? Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Now we're going to take a quick pause to hear from our sponsor, Anchor. Okay. We're back catching up with Melissa. And now we're going to talk to you about your your business, your tool specifically, career.place. Such a great tool. And tell our audience just a little bit about it. Yeah, absolutely. So the easiest way to think about career.place is it's kind of like the TV show, The Voice, but for hiring. So the concept of The Voice, which is really cool. If you're, if you're from the generation that grew up with American Idol, <laughs> other than the first episode, which was always my favorite. <laughs> 
because it was the funny one. Um, but other than the first episode, a lot of it was you watch these individuals as they started going through the process of competing. And the winners always tended to be these young, beautiful people who really put on a good show. So you got to assume that at some point someone said, you know, I wonder who would win if you couldn't actually see them, if you had to judge them by what actually mattered for a singing competition, their voice. And that then became part of the shtick of the show, right? You turn around like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that that voice came from that person. And you're, you're kind of, you're just hit right in center with those biases because of your assumptions of what they sound like versus what they look like. Well, that's not just limited to voices. So <laughs> what Career.Place does from a screening standpoint, we focus very primarily on candidate screening on everything from do you meet the basic requirements to are you someone that is valuable to bring into the organization and do that final evaluation, those final whatever it is, assessments or interviews or anything else to decide who your your candidate is, who your employee is going to be. But rather than resumes, which are these pre-created documents that can be full of beautiful pieces of information that have little to nothing to do with reality, we turned it upside down and said, you specify what those requirements are for the job. What are those questions you want to ask? What is the voice that you're looking for? And then let candidates demonstrate that. Don't make them guess and put it into documents. Let them respond. Tell them what you're looking for. But if you haven't asked for it, you don't get it. So when employers are evaluating those candidates from the first stage to the final, they have no idea what the gender is or the ethnicity. They have no idea how old the candidate is, what school they went mm -hmm. to, or even if they went to school, if that wasn't one of the requirements. So the idea is if you can define up front what you want, and then all candidates have to be evaluated by the exact same criteria in the exact same way without any of those biasing triggers, it's anonymous then you're truly giving equity, equal opportunity to all candidates for those positions. And that's the core of Career.Place. Wow, I love that. The voice for recruiting, you know, the voice <laughs> as like a tool for recruiting. I love that. When we're talking about candidates giving answers for the questions that companies want and only those answers for the questions that they want to know. Do you see more diversity in your numbers for the companies? Is it more diversity with the candidates that they're hiring as far as compared to their numbers before they were using you? Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, 90% this way. Now, since they're using career.place, it's, you know, more 40% way and it's more, yes. you know, yes. Absolutely. Now, some organizations have to take some hard looks at the requirements themselves. So one of the nice things about focusing on the requirements and not the candidates, right, focusing on the, the requirements first, is now you have a platform to question. I'll give you a really common one. Education is everywhere. Must have a college degree in XYZ or something else. Uh, by the way, a little hint is if it is XYZ or other, you may or may, you may not need it, right? If you don't know what you're right. looking for, might not be your true requirement for the job. But what is mm -hmm. happening with those education requirements is that it's adding a socioeconomic bias. And those socioeconomic biases are not equally distributed demographically. So you'll have some communities that are much more impacted than others with a socioeconomic bias. So you are going to have those positions where the education is an absolute requirement. You really want your lawyers and your doctors to be uh, to have those degrees, for example. Yeah. But 
marketing, sales, HR, there's so many opportunities for people to become fantastic through different avenues, work avenues, military, you know, how many vets are amazingly trained, but they don't necessarily have a college education. So when you disconnect the biases from of individuals with the requirements that you're looking for, you can start taking a hard look at those requirements. So as we work with our customers to look through some of those requirements, we can increase that diversity at the from those first couple of stages. Um, that being said, yeah, not only do we see more diversity coming through because we we watch it, we look at the demographic distribution at every stage because we want to find choke mm-hmm. points. Are you getting enough diversity from the source? You know, are you recruiting enough diversity across whatever the demographics you're you're looking at? But then, are they also making it all the way through your process? And if not, where is the the problem happening? Where is that that choke point? And is that a choke point that is a qualification choke point, as in they just aren't qualified, or is there something else lurking there that is alienating or removing certain demographics? My favorite is when people their jaws drop. <laughs> With, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this was happening. One of the real common ways, uh, we were watching this with a sales position, having this conversation a little while ago with the sales position, age. So all of their salespeople that they were bringing in were all younger. And they, they used this process and they were shocked to find that their qualified candidate pool was about 65% over the age of 40. So what was mm. happening and so you you get this this moment, and some people find it very uncomfortable, where you're faced with the biases of the process, the biases of the organization, sometimes even the biases of the individual. Yeah, that's wow. That's a. I mean, it's good that your you know your customers are able to see to get this insight and and correct correct the process. What is the number one or what is the the biggest ROI that you see for most companies after using career.place? What's kind of like your number one ROI that the companies realize? That is an excellent question because that's one of those areas that DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion does suffer from is it's not an immediate ROI and companies love talking ROI. Mm-hmm. So the trick that we came up with, the the key to getting our agenda through, which is DEI, but to their language, which is ROI, is efficiency. Mm -hmm. So if you are not Mm -hmm. sifting through lots of resumes, if you are not searching for something, and you know, I know it when I see it, which we all know never works out well. <laughs> um, and instead, you've predefined what you're looking for, so there isn't all of that that back and forth and oh, and another thing and the moving target problem and all these other things. You end up going a lot faster. So what we find is our customers tend to spend between eighty; uh, they tend to save between fifty and eighty percent of resource time because they're not sifting through resumes anymore, because they're not trying to go back and forth with their hiring managers talking about these, these requirements, because all of that is done up front. They're seeing much, much, much faster throughput from the time of apply to their final list. So tracking it around 50 to 80% time savings. So there's that nice ROI that allows them to build the path to DEI. So it's not necessarily what we want to hear in the world of DEI, that it is the equivalent of icing on the cake, but it is. And so we had to also deliver the cake. We want you to have the icing, but you're going to buy the cake. So we're going to put these two together. Awesome. I love it. So not to pivot to a 
fun question and get off the business train. But I do want to know, as a business owner, when do you feel accomplished with a client or a win that your company has gotten? And then what songs do you listen to? You know, we used to ride in the car and listen to a song after a hard day at work and we accomplished it. And we're like, yeah. And, you know, listening to Queen, Champion, <laughs> like that. So what, <laughs> what is what is the biggest win for you on an average day at career.place? And what song are you listening to? when you do it. <laughs> that is such a fantastic question. Um, so the wins are not, you know, you say you use the word big and I'm hesitating to respond because it's not that they're big, it's that they're impactful. It's the eureka moment when someone realizes if I did it this way, I will improve. And you see, you know, it's, we have our tagline is, is one hire at a time. And it feels like one hire at a time. Right? <laughs> but you get these moments where you see an, a person's entire approach to talent acquisition has just shifted. And that's an impact that's going to be lasting because from now on, every time they talk to someone, they're going to do it a little differently. Um, or, you know, when we have those conversations with candidates who seek us out to thank us because they finally, finally, they felt like they were heard, which is a crazy uh uh, paradox, isn't it? With with anonymity, I'm finally heard. Uh, so we had a veteran who had been out of the who'd who'd retired something like six or eight months and was looking for a director above position, but he didn't have director in his resume. You know, they don't really do that in the military, right? So the, he was getting filtered out. He never even had a chance to have a conversation because the resumes weren't matching the keywords. And so he was one of the candidates that made it through a process into the final, into that final group and got the interview for the very first time in all of his searching. And he was so pleased he sought us out in order to tell us. And we had another candidate who had Asperger's. Um, applying to a technical position. And if you're familiar with Asperger's, it's part of the autism scale. Yeah. And one yeah. of the, the more common attributes of someone with Asperger's is they speak a different social language. Just like you would talk about a different, trying to t talk in different mm -hmm. actual languages or cultural languages, he has a different social language. And in his words, like people just, I never got past that first interview because people would think I'm a jerk, but I'm not a jerk, but I don't want to tell them I have Asperger's and I'm not able to read the social cues that you're giving me uh, because then I don't think I'll be hired. And so he was caught in this difficult place, but he was able to, to pass all of that because it was a very different process. So those types of wins mm -hmm. from an individual standpoint make you feel really good. They're that the soul feeding of the of the job. And then when you see those shifts from the professional side, from the, the TA, that's that I am now making a difference. And so those are the wins. I know they're not the big ones. They're the little ones, but they, they are so human and so real. Um, as for the song, and let me caveat this with the fact that I have two young children. Like <laughs> five. <laughs> So the music <laughs> that plays in our household is, you know, very highly um, uh, tailored to that audience. So um, when we had just started the company, Zootopia had just come out. Try everything. Oh, yeah. So try everything becomes one of the songs that we listen to. I love it. I love that song. <laughs> I love it. So what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received that you still hold dear to yourself? 
So this is from a college friend of mine. I'll just use her first name mm-hmm. to make sure that, you know, just in case she wants the anonymity. So a college friend of mine, Celeste, we went through engineering school together and we had gone on a trip, like a little girl's trip. And I'm not exactly sure what happened. You know, college was a while ago at this point, but it was probably like a chocolate or an ice cream stain on my shirt. So I was not necessarily eating very cleanly at the time. And I was walking around really uncomfortable and, you know, futzing and trying to eat. And she's getting annoyed at me because here we are on this little vacation before going back to school and going back into the thick of things. And I'm not enjoying myself anymore because I'm too distracted by something that she would say, quite frankly, no one else cares about but you. And she just turned to me, she's like, Melissa, own it. Just own it. And, you know, at the time it was about the the chocolate stain on my shirt. But (laughs) in the overall sense, this, this concept of just own it, she's like, you know, this is you. This is your experience. The only thing you're impacting is yourself. So being ashamed of something, not being proud and authentic of every part of you, including your stain, is only going to hurt yourself. And that really, really stuck with me. And throughout my career, throughout my life, for all of my little idiosyncrasies, rather than try to hide them like the gray streaks in my hair, I own it Mm -hmm. and I'm proud of who I am. And it doesn't mean I'm perfect because I'm certainly not. And it doesn't mean every part of me is fantastic because it certainly isn't, but every part of me is authentically me. And I want, Mm -hmm. and the more I'm proud of me and who I am, the more I'm striving to be the best authentic me I can be, the more I can have a positive impact on everybody else. Oh my gosh. Carla's holding up her preach sign again. (laughs) Because at that, I feel like, That's a mic drop, right, Melissa? Like that is that is such a good thing to communicate to our audience. Mm -hmm. And so I just appreciate you you saying that. Own it. Like that's that's awesome. And I think that's a very empowering statement. Yes. And piece of advice. And obviously it's it translates into everything you do and say, because I definitely feel that you own it, even when I met you during that panel. So you have definitely Taking that little piece of advice and yes. run it through. <laughs> no, you you both were on the panel and my fingers were on fire. Like, oh my goodness, these ladies are preaching. I, I couldn't type fast enough. <laughs> so the, the time goes by so fast. We're already to the end of our time, but I think that's a good note to end on. But we do have probably some of our HR colleagues and people in the industry that listen to our podcast. So um, we're going to put your information about career.place in the description. But if you could tell people how to get in contact with you or anything you want to share um, in terms of career.place. Yeah, absolutely. It's easy to remember our website because it's the same as our name, www.career.place. And so you can contact me through that. I'm also always on LinkedIn. So, and I do respond to all my messages. So you can contact me as well. (laughs) Though if you do want to link or contact me, please send me a message because I do get a lot of requests and I do try to respond to them all, but I will tend to respond to those who give messages, which is also a great tip that I heard um, from a LinkedIn expert, from a a networking expert is, you know, say hello, because that's going to give someone the um, excuse and the path to say hello back. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, y'all, take that tip from Melissa about <laughs> when we preach again, but that's a good tip. So say hello. 
Evergreen. Um, we so appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule um, to speak with us. You dropped so many good nuggets, and I'm sure that our audience will appreciate this conversation. Um, and we just appreciate your time. And we thank our audience for hanging in there with us, supporting our podcast. We just appreciate you so much. And we'll see you on the next episode. This is Carla, the HR expert. And this is Camille, the recruiting expert. And we're the HR twins. You just finished an episode of the Career Salon podcast. Be sure to follow us on all social media platforms at The Career Salon. And don't forget to subscribe and follow on all podcast platforms for upcoming episodes.